about your psalms, talk about John 3.16. Austin 3.16 says I just whipped your ass. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother. Hi everyone, this is Neil Pruitt from Neil Pruitt's Secrets of WCW Nitro. You may have heard this voice before, the New World Order. I was the producer and the voice for the New World Order. You're listening to the Wrestling Basement Podcast. This podcast has not been sanctioned by the New World Order. Hey everyone, this is Guy Evans, author of Nitro, The Incredible Rise and Inevitable Collapse of Ted Turner's WCW, and you are listening to the Wrestling Basement Podcast. Graham Matthews, Bleacher Report, fan-sided Daily DDT. My man, how you doing? Doing great, brother. How are you? Doing good, man. Can't complain for those who are not watching the the live version we are doing now. We, we got this uh, stream yard set up. First time that we're doing a, a, a video show for the Wrestling Basement Podcast, which you can find on SoundCloud.com slash Cruise Control Podcast. As you can see in the bottom scrolling over here, um, Spotify, Apple uh, Music, you can find the podcast. You can find Graham on Twitter. At Russell Rand, who's been on a roll lately, um, you know, interviewing the likes of Biggie and Bailey and Seth Rollins and uh, NXT guys. Uh, <laughs> I'm surprised he gave me his time today. He's a very busy guy, so I do want to thank you for doing that, bro. <laughs> of course, brother. And anything for the people that come first. Mr. Randy Cruz always comes first in my book. That's right, man. So, um, <laughs> Uh, you guys can also follow me on Twitter at Randy J. Cruz, R-E-N-D-Y, the letter J-C-R-U-Z. So um, this week makes the 16th anniversary for Randy Orton becoming the youngest world heavyweight champion. So obviously with this show, we talk about some throwback conversations, some throwback the nostalgia topics with wrestling. Um, me now currently not really watching the product as much as I was with the pandemic and no fans. So I figured, let me take a step back from that and do some throwback content with you and some other people. And when it comes to anniversaries, I'm, I'm a very big fan of that. So me mm-hmm. doing the research in August is you, you're going to get a lot of SummerSlam stuff and, and stuff like that. I think we did, um, a big SummerSlam show last week. We have one coming up next week which would be the anniversary for Bailey and Sasha at um, TakeOver, yeah. TakeOver Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um, that'll make five years next week. Um, so I came across SummerSlam 04, and I always recall that Randy Orton became the youngest world heavyweight champion, defeating Chris Benoit in the main event. Um, and 
you know, propelling the rise of this legend killer character, which now has made his way back <laughs> onto TV uh, nowadays. So I figured, well, if he's there now, I think people should know about the original legend killer time period, which is what made in the mid 2000s. So mm-hmm. um, the timeline goes like this for those who don't know. So Benoit wins the title at WrestleMania 20 against Shawn Michaels and Triple H in a triple threat match. Um, he defends later on against the guys like Kane and Batista, and then he gets Randy Orton at SummerSlam. How does Randy Orton get there? He wins a, a, a battle royal and becomes the number one contender for the title. Prior to that, um, he had a, a crazy intercontinental championship run, uh, I think from December of, of 03 to July 04. Uh, yep. He beats um, RVD. And he drops the belt to Edge. I know we'll get to that part later on. Um, And then we get to SummerSlam 04. So, Graham, I know I always have to remind myself that you did not watch this in real time. Yes, exactly. You are younger than me. So, whenever you went back into the rabbit hole of the Legend Killer and and, and that time frame, what speaks volumes to you about Orton becoming the, the, the youngest world heavyweight champion back at SummerSlam 04? I mean, just not that pay-per-view itself, but just that entire time period in general. I mean, I, I think you would agree, Randy, that I saw recently, I think it was Eric Bischoff who went on the record, whether it be on his podcast or something, said that WWE has not created a new star since 2002 with John Cena, like on the level of a John Cena. Now, right. I would argue that he's also forgetting Randy Orton, Batista, Rey Mysterio, all who came up during that time. Brock Lesnar obviously came up in the same ranks in 2002. Um, but Orton was among those people. Orton kind of had a different rise than the other people. You know, he won the world championship a little quicker than Batista, a little quicker than Ray, a little quicker than Edge and John Cena. And it was a bit premature um, just because his reign would only be a month long. But going into 04, though, they had built him up incredibly well. Part of Evolution, I think you forgot to mention that, he was a part of Evolution at the time with Triple H, Ric Flair, and Batista. And he was supposed to be the crown jewel of that group. The whole reason he was put in there alongside Batista was so they can build him up to be a future champion. And like you said, he had this great intercontinental championship reign. And I would really have to go back in the archives. And we've done shows before on the greatest intercontinental champions of all time, what the reigns did for certain superstars and stuff like that. But with Randy Orton specifically, and I think I've said this here on the show before, not in wrestling baseball, but two out of three falls, you know what I'm saying? I think I told you before that I think Randy was one of, if not the last person to hold that championship. And this is amazing to say because it's been 16 years since he won that or held that championship. The last person to hold that title that was actually elevated to the main event scene from that point forward. And I'm not talking about like The Miz, for example, who was already a WWE champion by the time that he won it, or. You know, a Dolph Ziggler, maybe maybe Dolph actually. Dolph had a couple of reigns before he actually won the world championship, but Dolph never went on to become the star that Randy Orton is. So I don't know if he would exactly count. Um, but Orton did, although that first reign as world champion was cut short by Triple H, of course, a month later. Um, Obviously, and, and it, it was supposed to be a matter of long term storytelling, and I'm sure we'll get into all of this. But you know, it was supposed to be, oh, we take the belt from him, he goes babyface, and then he has to chase Triple H. 
And they did do that, just not going into WrestleMania. They did it at the Rumble instead because he just wasn't getting over in that role the way that they had hoped. Uh, Randy Orton, that is. But yeah, going into that point, though, the guy was on fire. Had great matches with practically everyone. And lest we forget as well, you mentioned he beat RVD for the belt. He lost the belt to Edge. Two very good matches, two great opponents of Randy's. Mm. But the biggest highlight during that reign, and what really put him on the map, I would argue, I think a lot of people would agree, was the Mick Foley feud from a couple months earlier in the spring of 2004. Um, That hardcore match of Backlash 2004. uh, Incredible match, one of the greatest matches, I would say. Maybe not like the top ten of all time, Mm. but it's in that conversation in one of Orton's greatest matches ever in WWE and even Mick Foley's as well. Um, and that was for the intercontinental championship. And that was after he had already pinned Foley at WrestleMania 20. So, um, Orton, I would, I don't know if he was the superstar of 2004, but, and I, again, I don't know if they exactly rushed his ascent to the top. Cause he'd already dropped the intercontinental belt. He went for the world championship at SummerSlam. So I, I don't know. I wasn't really watching at that point. Like I said, real time. So it's hard to say all these years later, but, he did have a great run in 2004, and it, it seemed like he made the most sense to be the one to take the belt off of Benoit, just because Benoit, although he had a good reign, some very good matches, again, one of the greatest WrestleMania matches ever with Triple H and Sean, wasn't the guy. Benoit had one of those CM Punk, maybe you could even argue Drew McIntyre-type runs. Uh, who's, he's not really main eventing a lot of shows, not really the focus of the show, kind of in the background. Um, he had one of those type of runs, so... Orton made the most sense to take the belt off him. I don't know if they rushed it, um, but still, he had, a, he had a great run going into SummerSlam 2004. So you mentioned the Mick Foley uh, and Randy Orton rivalry back at Backlash 04. <clears throat> um, and even recently, when the anniversary came up on Twitter, you know, Mick Foley did say that uh, it, it was probably his favorite match of all time for his career. Mm-hmm. And Randy Orton chimed in and said that it was the most impactful match of his career. Um, for those who haven't seen it, Backlash 04, it was for the, for the Intercontinental Championship. Uh, no host barred. You got barbed wire. You have thumbtacks. A, a regular Mick Foley kind of match. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and going back, what I, I have not seen that match in quite a, quite a while. But I think if you had to say, you know, go through the your top five, top ten Randy Orton type of ma- uh, you know matches, I think um, the one with Mick Foley would be. Uh, for us in the top five, I know Orton has a very high. It, it might be number one to him, uh, as far as the the impact goes. But uh, where would you rank for yourself the the Mick Foley Orton uh, IC title match back at Backlash '04? Well, I mean, number one <clears throat> would have to be not Backlash 2004, but Backlash 2020, the greatest wrestling match of all time. How can you oh, have yeah, the course. greatest wrestling match of all time with Edge and not have it be number one? Oh my god! But really? in all seriousness, though, I don't know. I might actually put that in number one, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. And Orton is great, and he's had a lot of great matches. Um, I would really, I mean, that's tough. Because, again, he's been around for so long, so I can't just say, oh, the matches. Like AJ Styles is a lot easier to say the greatest matches of his WWE career because he's only been here for four years. Orton's been here since 2002. Mm -hmm. So I would probably say tentatively that would be number one. Um you know, he had some really good matches with John Cena. The Iron Man match specifically, I thought, was the best one they had. I think it was a bragging rights 2009 or something. Um, him and Triple H just never honestly had the greatest chemistry. They had a couple gems here and there. Not instant classics. Same thing with Batista. Mm-hmm. A lot of Orton matches. I, I don't know. I feel like with Randy Orton, he had a lot of matches that just never really 
reach that next level. The AJ Styles match wasn't as great as it could have been. Um, and the matches he had with, I'm trying to think, ah, man, I don't really know. I think the Foley match would be number one just because of how good of a match it was and what it did for Orton's career. I can't say the, the same thing about maybe any other match he's had in the last five years. I mean, I guess you could say the triple threat from WrestleMania 30 with Batista and Bryan, but I don't think about that as being a great Randy Orton match. That was more about Daniel Bryan, you know, because he won. I mean, I guess you could include that, but as, if we're talking singles matches, the Foley one would probably be number one. Again, I would really have to go back and think about it, but... Yeah, I don't know. I feel like that would would probably be number one because he was just a much bigger star coming out of it. And in addition to the fact, the match itself was just flat out amazing. Mm. Oh, man. I think Mick Foley would be up there. Uh, the one with Christian could be up there. I, know that that I was going to say that as well. I didn't even know if you remembered those matches, so I, I wasn't going to say that. Yes, I do. <laughs> it's, it's one of my favorite feuds of all time. I would say that's easily one of my favorite matches ever from Randy Orton. Um, any one of those matches, they actually just put up the full thing on YouTube WWE did the other day, the Orton Christian no holds barred world heavyweight championship match mm. from SummerSlam 2011. Um, that would probably be my top five as well. And I know both of them, I, I've spoken to Christian before and he has said that Orton was probably of everyone he faced in WWE over the course of 20 years, Orton was his favorite opponent. I think Orton would say the same thing as well. Um, but yeah, Christian and Foley, that match with Edge at, at Backlash a couple of months ago was really good. I don't know if I would put it top five, mm -hmm. but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's really, really tough. He's had a lot of great matches, but none that would really stand out to me. Not, not many that would stand out to me as being these instant classics. You know, not the same way that like John Cena has or Shawn Michaels, CM Punk, AJ, and all these other guys. Um, I know we'll get to it later, but what about um, Undertaker? Him and Orton. I don't know if I would put that in his greatest match category. It was a very, all the matches they had were very good. The WrestleMania one was good. The SummerSlam one was good. The Hell in the Cell match was good. Probably. I might, I might put the Hell in the Cell match on there just because he really, again, showed that he could be taken to the limit, got got bloodied up. It was a good feud. Yeah, I might put the I might put the Taker one on there. I'd have to go back and rewatch the matches, but maybe the Hell in the Cell match from Armageddon would be on that list. Right. I'd really have to think about it, though. So before SummerSlam, obviously, he is a part of Evolution. Uh, we, we're going back to 03, 03, 04. Um, he gets put down with, with, with Ric Flair and Triple H and Batista. Uh, I think he debuted in the company in 02, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Um, but then we, we see this guy, just a Randy Orton guy, a lot, lot of black hair, and he's just, just very mm -hmm. athletic kind of guy. Nobody really knew what kind of uh, performer he would become later on as a, as a you know, fear shot Hall of Famer kind of guy. But, yeah. Um, then it gets down with evolution. Now you're seeing like the, the past, the present, the future. That, that's how they laid it out. So now when you go back into your rabbit hole of going back into evolution and seeing, all right, you got Triple H, a multiple-time world champion. Ric Flair, is 16-time world champion. Um, now they're looking to, to, to get two new young guys uh, right out the gate. And one is Batista and one is Randy Orton. When you see Randy Orton in that mix mm -hmm. and knowing what you know now, I think two guys who were part of Evolution in Batista and Randy Orton, if Ric Flair and Triple H had to do it all over again, I think they would still pick Batista and Orton. I think there's no other person on that roster that you can 
kind of swap Orton and Batista. So I think what they did at that time was the perfect choice to pick Randy Orton and Batista. No, I definitely agree. I mean, if you go back and watch, and they've talked about this on all of their respective DVDs, that Batista was the perfect guy for the job, that Orton was the right guy for the job. Um, I don't know if you saw that Ruthless Aggression show they put together a couple of months ago. Yeah. Very good show. I mean, it doesn't tell you a lot that you didn't already know, but it's still a good show, and I think the Ruthless Aggression era is vastly underrated. I'm not much of an Attitude Era guy. You know that, Randy, but I love the 02 to 05 era. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and they've mentioned before, when Batista and Orton got hurt, at literally at the same time, they talked about this in the documentary on Ruthless Aggression um, earlier this year, that Orton and Batista were literally injured in the same exact match against the Dudleys with two different freak injuries. And Triple H was like, what the fuck are we going to do? Like, this was at the very beginning of Evolution. Right. And they literally waited for both guys to come back to continue doing the group. Mm -hmm. And that says a lot. They could have very either, they could have very well just abandoned the group you know, pick new people for They almost got Mark Jindrake in there, they talked about, and that's been common knowledge for years now. I couldn't tell you a Mark Jindrake match from a hole in the wall, but, you know, they almost wanted to get him in there just because he looked the part. Yeah. Um, they didn't. They, they, they were against it. Triple H specifically was like, no, 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 no. We need this guy, Batista. And they waited literally. Like, Batista was out for almost a year. Orton wasn't out nearly as long. Batista was out for the better part of 03. So that really goes to show you what they thought, how highly they thought of Batista and Randy Orton. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think they would have gone with anyone else. They had the opportunity to, and they didn't. So that tells you right there. It's not even a what-if situation. They literally had the chance to go with anyone else but those two, and they didn't because they saw something in them specifically, which is really cool. And I think what was important for Randy at that time was when he was still out, and those who may not, who may not know, but on Raw, he would have... Um, like for for the character for the personality, um, he would have like these little segments where he was like, "Listen, I'm 45 percent back, I'm 49 percent back," and and the fans would just totally shit on it. So at at that same time, you're he's not performing in the ring. At the same time, you're building a, a, a character for him. So when he when he does come back, he'll be a, a crazy bad guy. So he he was just like a very irritating annoying kind of guy and mm -hmm. like, bro you you're probably 100 percent, but you're lying to everybody on, on camera so i think that that right there early on kind of propelled him to be where he is at now definitely i think those segments <clears throat> were called rnn news yeah. it was like a playoff of cnn yeah. and the only reason i remember that is because i i watch survivor series o2 constantly it's such a great show mm -hmm. and they played one of those segments on the show and he had like a, um, not a neck brace, but he had like a, his arm in a sling. I think he broke his arm or something soon after his debut. And he was saying how like, oh, you know, the I, I got this comfy neck pillow from the attractive, uh, you know, uh, stewardess on the airport, on the, on the airplane, blah, blah, blah. And he was just coming across like a complete douche. And that really allowed him, like you said, Randy, to showcase his personality. Because when he first showed up, a lot of people forget this bland-ass baby face. I think he beat Hardcore Holly, did literally nothing after that. That injury was probably the best thing to happen to him. I don't know if we would have gotten that same Randy Orton, maybe eventually, but not in the same way, not when we did, had it not been for those vignettes. And they could really do more stuff like that. And I would say in today's WWE, they do it from time to time, but more often than not when someone's hurt, they're never on TV in any respect. They take time off for like you know months, weeks, whatever. They come back and they get that big pop. But it is sometimes cool to maintain momentum on a show like that. Orton didn't really have much momentum to begin with, but he actually got himself more over by being hurt 
which is crazy to think about. And um, he really benefited from those vignettes. I completely agree. And he became this great douchey heel. And he's always been far better in that heel role right. than he's ever been as a baby face. So I know they did the um, the network stuff on Evolution for the aggression era. Yep. But as a fan and going back to it almost 17 years later, when they when Evolution won all the belts at Armageddon 03, so Flair the tag champion, Batista the tag champion, Orton IC champion, Hunter the world champion, to kind of solidify this group as like the next big stable going forward for years, like you don't you don't see that you know nowadays or even back then where like you know there wasn't a time when the Shield won every belt on the same same night or whatever the case may be. So the as far as I know, Evolution was the last one to do it. So, like, how important was that for the for the group to to continue going further to win every single belt in the company all in one night? Well, I'm going to correct you there. Uh-oh. So, there have been factions before that have won all the titles, like even in recent years, like in one night and one night. All right, so not in one. Well, yes, uh-huh. actually, in one night. So, I, when you said one night, I'm like, okay, that eliminates. Because in literally the last year alone, the New Day did it. Not on the same night, but they held gold at the same time for like a month or two. Undisputed Era obviously did it for a number of months in NXT. Not on the same night, but they held gold simultaneously. And the OC last year. Very, very briefly, but for like a month they did. The Shield. It's funny you mentioned the Shield. Of all the factions you could have mentioned, Randy, right, that's that is right. literally <laughs> that's literally the only other faction to have done it. It's not nearly as iconic as that shot at the top of the stage at Armageddon 03 mm-hmm. with Batista, H, Flair, and Orton all holding gold. It's not that iconic, but it did happen at Extreme Rules 2013. Um, it was about six months removed from their debut. Uh, Dean Ambrose beat Kofi Kingston for the United States Championship that night to win it. And then in that same evening, like literally right after that, or maybe right before, I think it was right after, Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns knocked off Team Hell No to win the WWE Tag Team titles. And they became all champions for, man, they held those belts for a while. So they were all champions simultaneously for like five months. Again, it's not the same thing because the, the difference is that with the Evolution one, Evolution, that was back when they had the brand split. 2013, the brand split was dead and buried at that point. The U.S. title meant nothing. The tag team titles meant a little bit more. With Evolution, they literally held every championship that they could on that show, on Raw. Like, there, weren't, there wasn't a 24-7 championship. There wasn't another... There was another world title, but on SmackDown. So Raw at that time only had the world intercontinental and tag team titles and the women's championship. But again, they didn't have a female member. So that was like, holy shit. They're literally dominating the show. That's literally like Undisputed Era. Undisputed Era held every championship that they could on NXT, except for like the Cruiserweight, but that's a different story. Um, But they held every championship that they could. This is obviously a bigger deal because it was on Raw and not NXT. And it featured four of the biggest names on that show at that time. So, uh, yeah, the Shield did it too. Evolution stands out more just because they're all bigger names. Um, I mean, at that point, they were when they won it. And, um, yeah, no, it was just a cool visual, really cemented them as one of the greatest stables of all time. Mm -hmm. And the weird thing about it is that people remember that night. They remember that moment. But the thing about it is that they actually, Batista and Flair lost the tag titles like a month later. They weren't tag team champions for very long. And then obviously Triple H dropped the world championship um, at WrestleMania to Benoit. So it wasn't that long that they held all the gold, but uh, it was still an iconic sight and an iconic visual nonetheless. So with me preparing for the show, 
um, I was trying to find out when was like the legend killer name born. Yeah. So we're still a month removed from that. So let's say September of 03, Orton comes out and he, he does the RKO to the fabulous Moolah, right? Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, hi, I'm Randy. Uh, he was saying, um, you're a legend. Hi, I'm Randy, but I'm I'm the legend killer. And then boom, mm-hmm. the legend killer was born. So you have in that faction, the game, the nature boy and the animal. And now you got the legend killer. So. And then he would go on this tirade of, you know, just beating up the old veterans and Mick Foley and those kind of guys. And so before he's, he's even world champion, he's the, mm-hmm. that that moniker. So um, looking back at it, when it comes to heel characters, just a certain time frame, uh, how vital, how important was it for Randy to adopt this legend killer character? It was huge. I mean, again, it wasn't a matter of just him being a part of a stable that was really successful and he just rode off their coattails. He had a character all to himself. Batista became the bigger baby face just because of how he was built up. But he didn't need that same character because he got off. He, he kind of, um, you know, got over being the big muscle man guy turning on Triple H. Orton being this great heel um, got over by being just himself turned up to like a 12. And the legend killer thing specifically, unless I'm wrong, had never really been done up to that point. Um, I mean, they weren't bringing back legends in the 90s and 80s anyway, for the most part. So they didn't really have to. They bring back legends constantly now. But again, he laid out Fabulous Moolah, Sergeant Slaughter, Dusty Rhodes years later. Um, so many people, Mick Foley kicking him down the stairwell. And I think in Madison, Madison Square Garden or something like that. So um, again, the more legends he quote unquote killed, the bigger of a star he became. It was really just a giant endorsement for the company Mm -hmm. telling fans for Orton telling fans, listen, this guy's a big deal. He's a future legend. And it's not one of those gimmicks where like they did it for a month. Like with Heath Slater, they did it with Heath Slater going to raw 1000. He faced like Vader and he lost all the time, but, and he would, he would get his ass kicked. Like he literally had this gimmick for a good, I would say a year or two, but it's a gimmick that works so well. He's gone back to it over the years. Like obviously recently, but he also did it um, back in 07 as well. He went back to it after the whole rated RKO thing served its time, did its time. He killed Shawn Michaels. He killed Dusty Rhodes. He went after John Cena and he did a few other legends at that point as well. He RKO Jake the Snake Roberts during that original run. So uh, yeah, and, and having the RKO, this impromptu finish that you can head out of nowhere obviously really helped with that as well. But um, yeah, the character was just huge for Randy Orton. It was a gimmick that he could take with him even past evolution. It wasn't something where it only worked in that group. It was something, it is something that still works on its own even in 2020. So we have evolution Randy Orton. We have the legend killer Randy Orton. We have the Viper. We got Legacy. We got uh, your favorite, the Authority, Randy Orton. Um... (laughs) Does the awful <laughs> so bad? Okay, so okay. Question number one: the, the worst version of Randy Orton to you is what? The 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 the, the uh, authority or like you, you, your worst for you is the uh, the authority? No, oh, absolutely the authority. Uh, absolutely, wasn't that bad, bro? It wasn't that bad, dude. The group sucked. <laughs> the group sucked. And now with Orton, he's had there, again. There's been so many iterations, like you said, but with him, it's like. That did nothing to help anyone. That initial heel turn, I will say to this day, is still one of the greatest ever 
one of the greatest angles. He had Brian and Cena this amazing match. Orton comes out, turns heel. Triple H turns heel, helps him win the belt. It's like, what the fuck just happened? Like, that's crazy. The follow-up was shit. Orton's matches sucked. The promos were no good. Honestly, he was more over coming out of authority and going into the authority than he was during the authority, which is a real shame because he's always been a better heel. But he was book-like shit. The matches were no good. Just wasn't great. I much prefer Legacy Orton. I much prefer... Honestly, my favorite iteration of Randy Orton... I mean, Legend Killer is amazing, and I, I could see why that would be the easy answer for a lot of people. My favorite Randy Orton is when he broke away from the legacy. So, like, when he turned on Cody and Debbie, Teddy Biasi, and the whole point of that group was to get Ted and Cody over. It didn't. It actually had the opposite effect. It, had, it got Orton even more over than he was previously. And like I said, he usually sucks as a face, or he's just not interesting. But when he went face in 2010, the reactions this guy was getting Hi. were, like, off the charts, dude. Off the charts. He was facing Jack Swagger, Sheamus, Batista, all these various people. And he was getting great reactions every single time. I, I sound like an idiot now, and no one will ever be the next so-and-so, but he gave me Stone Cold vibes in 2010. No one will ever be Stone Cold, but like the closest we had it with Stone Cold at that point was Randy Orton, where the reactions he was getting didn't give a shit. He would, he would RKO Jack Swagger one night, and then RKO Meatloaf the next. Like The guy was all over the place. He was RKOing all these random celebrities, Wayne Brady being another one, like, but why Wayne Brady? But it was cool and people pop for it. And, um, he won the championship and net of champions 2010 in Chicago. This um, again, Chicago is a hardcore crowd for them to go crazy for Randy Orton of all people speaks volumes. And then I would, I would trace it back to the Christian stuff for when people started to turn on it because, and that's not his fault. They had Christian lose the belt in like a day or two and people really started to hate Orton, but that 2010 Orton, is still my favorite to this day. The guy was, if they were looking for that next big baby face, that was it. But then they squandered it soon after. So it never really panned out. But if, if you ever had a chance of finding someone that was more popular than John Cena, aside from maybe Brian or CM Punk, Randy Orton was that guy in 2010. Yeah. For me, man, I, I think we, we both can agree that Randy Orton, like, you, you know, some guys are better as a bad guy than a good guy. So, definitely. Definitely. Randy Orton is definitely one of those, one of those guys who are listening. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be a good guy ever in your career. You know what I'm saying? People are going to love you and respect you. But when you're a bad guy, like even like him, like Edge, to me, Edge is more of a, more of a bad guy than a good guy. I agree. Um, He's a great face, but yeah, he can be a, a way better heel. I totally yeah. agree. So Orton, if, if you were doing like, I guess of the modern era, who was better? Who like to me, Shawn Michaels is is is, is a is a, a a dick. He's an asshole. So yeah, he's, he's just an asshole. He's more <laughs> of a bad guy than a good guy. The same thing with Triple yeah. H. Yeah. Um, but like those guys, are like Hunter, Shawn, Edge, Orton, like yo, you're just a natural heel. Like, I mean, I still be a fan of you being a good guy. But naturally, you are a bad guy, and I think we've seen mm -hmm. the Legend Killer and you know um, the Legacy, Rated RKO, Evolution, mm -hmm. Authority, and before I move on, I think we can agree that even though, even though um, your favorite Orton was after Legacy, but the Legend Killer still stands out as the best version of Randy Orton, right? Yeah, that would be the best, just because the got him to where he is today really solidified him as this top-tier talent um, all these years later. But, um, yeah, no, so the thing with, like, Orton and Edge, it's different than a guy like Eddie Guerrero or 
maybe Daniel Bryan would put in that conversation too. There's very few people that can play both the heel and babyface roles like exceptionally well. Like with Eddie Guerrero, you love the guy as a babyface because he was so believable, like he was relatable, whatever. As a heel, the guy was just a flat-out asshole. With Edge and with Orton, maybe with Punk, Jericho might be in this conversation too. Right. And Jericho might be more of an Eddie. I, I would really have to think about it, but at least with Orton and Edge, they're great heels, but when they become baby faces, you don't like them because, oh, they're relatable or because they're the underdogs or because you can whatever, because you can connect with them. You just like them because you know they're awesome. Like, it's like, I just like them because it's Edge or I like them because it's Randy Orton right. and because they're cool. There's no one, like when the guy was RKOing random people, Randy, uh, for the last couple of years before it went heel again, it was like, I like Randy Orton because he's just randy orton there's no one character tree that's why people get bored of orton as a baby face because if you don't like orton you're not going to give a shit about the guy there's no one characteristic that stands out as being like oh this is what makes him such a great face or whatever like he has great promos like edge has good promos and that's what he works as a face but like you, you like edge just because he's awesome and i feel like he's become a better baby face because of the whole injury thing and coming back from that um but triple h i would say is the exact same way as orton where as a face it's not like mm, i mean i don't know I feel like you just like him because he's cool and not because he's like this badass or like a Stone Cold or a Rock. The Rock is kind of the same thing too where he's just a good baby face because people love him, but he's just in his element as a heel. He has better matches, better promos, better character work, better everything right. as a heel. And Orton definitely falls in that category as well. So we get to SummerSlam, right? 04, mm -hmm. Benoit, Orton, main event for the title. Um, still at that time, I think I was... Just getting back into watching it, you know, I took a little break after the uh, the Attitude Era. I think most did, you know, my age now, and seeing him in Evolution now being the the guy for the world title is not a Triple H, is not somebody else who who is normally in that team, is somebody brand new with Orton, and you know, great match overall. I think most would know that most would re recall that show because of Orton and Benoit. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but I don't know what other matches stand that tall against Gordon <laughs> and, and, and Benoit. But when I saw it, and it was weird because he, he, he won the match, and he won it clean. And no one back in the day with Evolution, you get a run-in, you get help from Flair or Hunter yeah. and stuff like that. So one, he, he, he's, he's out there by himself. Uh, he wins the match by himself. Clean as day RKO. Probably, if you go back at it, it was probably the quickest RKO you, you'll see. Yeah. And he wins it. And I think it was in Toronto, if, if I'm not yep. mistaken. And you see Orton as the new world champion. And then what was uh, cool to see was that you'll see Benoit kind of reach his hand out to shake Orton's hand. And Orton is, is reluctant to, to, to do it because that, mm -hmm. that's, that's the character. And Benoit said, like, be a man, be a man, and, and shake my hand. And then Orton finally does it. Benoit walks out, and people are cheering for Randy Orton as being the world champion. So now, when you see that, what's going through your mind? Like, are you, are you thinking, like, man, the Benoit run was too short? They didn't really have much for him down the road? It was Randy Orton just, like, the, this little stepping stone of a world champion for, you know, just to drop it quickly, uh, like, a month later to Triple H? Like, what are you going through? What are you noticing when Randy Orton finally becomes the youngest world champion in the company's history? 
So a couple of things. Um, I think the storytelling is actually great because there is no interference, probably because they turned on him the next night. So that tells me that they didn't interfere because Triple H didn't think he would win. And they thought he would just lose. When he got the opportunity, I don't know if he won like a battle royal or something to get that opportunity. I don't remember. I think that's what it was, though. I think that's what happened. And then Triple H is probably thinking to himself as a character, this guy's not going to win. Benoit beat me at WrestleMania. He beat me at Backlash. He beat me at this show. He beat, he beat Benoit beat him like three different times and submitted him like almost every single time, too. So if he can't beat Triple H, there's no way that Orton's going to beat Benoit. There's, there's just no way. If he can't beat Triple H, I'm sorry, if he can't, um, if Triple H can't beat Benoit, then why would Orton beat Benoit? And then Orton did. So it proved that Orton was superior to Triple H more than Triple H thought he would be. He was kind of coming up a little too quickly for Triple H's liking because that was his World Heavyweight Championship. You can have that peasant intercontinental title. I don't really care about that. The World Heavyweight Championship belongs to May. And um, that, that was really what they were going for. The turn had the shock value and people still remember it. So I can't say it was a failure, but the whole point of it was, was to cement Orton as a face. And again, I don't know if it was because he wasn't working as a face or it was because it was just, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know because I think the whole intention was, Oh, let's put the belt back on triple H. It'll make Orton that much more beloved. Or I don't know if it was the bookings fault. I don't really, I, I would really have to go back and watch the raws and whatever. Or if he just wasn't getting those type of reactions. Cause like you said, he got shared at SummerSlam. So it's not like people thought, Orton was boring. I don't know. I don't really know what the reason for that was. And maybe just because Triple H always had to be in the spotlight. I would have waited a little longer before during the turn, before doing the turn. I could see why they did it. That was the big post SummerSlam surprise with Benoit though. I mean, it's honestly hard to argue against his reign being a placeholder reign just because yeah, he had a lot of good matches, including WrestleMania, he didn't really do much beyond those matches, though. He had the matches with Sean and Triple H, Mania and Backlash. I think he beat Triple H again at, like, Vengeance or something. Had a match with Kane. I don't even remember that. Um, but he didn't really do much. It was it was very clear that he was only holding that belt and keeping it warm for the next person, that being Randy Orton. So and I, the reason I say placeholder, it's not because... You know, it's not like he went out to win the championship again, or Benoit was this bona fide main event star. Honestly, and I hate to say it, it's a lot like Kofi Kingston. Kofi Kingston had this amazing WrestleMania match moment. He actually had a very good reign as well, booked well, didn't main event a lot of pay-per-views like Benoit, didn't main event a lot of shows, wasn't the focal point of the shows. The focal point of Raw still in 04, Benoit or no Benoit, was evolution. It didn't matter who had the championship, it was still evolution. And again, with Benoit, he won the championship once, got his time with it, dropped it, and for the next three years he was there, never held it again. He may have gone for it again, but he never held the top title again. He went over to SmackDown, he was Intercontinental Champion, U.S. Champion, did that a number of times. It was just giving the guy his due, and then, like, Eddie died before, I mean, I don't know, Eddie never really got another reign with it either. He was never really upper echelon after that, but maybe he would have become world champion again had he not passed away. I don't know. I don't think so. I feel like with Eddie, he was kind of the same thing where they put the belt on him just to give him his due and have this great moment, mm. but they weren't planning on keeping him a main event star. Benoit was not a main event star. Orton, although he held the belt for a month, Orton's first reign was shorter than Benoit significantly, but Orton went on to win all these championships, and again, not for a couple of years. The thing with Orton is that they gave him time, because in 05, he didn't win another world championship. He didn't win another world title until late 07. That's three years. Maybe that would happen to Benoit, maybe it would have happened to Eddie, I don't know. With Orton, though, they stayed the course. Um, the other guys, they did not. 
So I think that's why Benoit's reign, while good, didn't really cement him as a star, not because of him, but because he, A, just wasn't the guy. He just wasn't the guy they wanted to focus on. And B, because of the booking. And they just were going to keep him in that position just to keep the belt warm, like CM Punk's first reign with it. He was world champion for the sake of being world champion. He was not the guy on Raw by any stretch of the imagination. So since you're a guy who's been busy interviewing a lot of people, (laughs) if you ever get a chance to interview Randy Orton, let's say hypothetically, and we're talking about this time frame between SummerSlam 04 and... Unforgiven 04 when the breakup happens with evolution. So what what's the one question you would ask, like just to kind of, you know, for your mind, for your sake, like like what's what's um what could bother you more or just kind of saying like you're intrigued about knowing whether was he shocked that he had the world title at such a young age so quick? <clears throat> or do you feel like maybe you would ask him did they break up Evolution too quick? Evolution ran its course. Um, I don't think they broke it up too quick because, yeah, he was in Evolution shorter than everyone else because Evolution kept, you know, stayed together with H. Batista and Flair for another six months or so um, until WrestleMania when Batista won the world championship. And then they had Triple H and Flair for a little while. That dissolved after a little while as well. Um I would probably ask him that if it had to do with this time period, I would definitely ask him, do you feel like you had too much too soon? And would it have been any different had they, you know, waited or whatever? I mean, obviously he turned out fine. The guy's a fucking 13, 14 time world champion. But like, yeah, I would, would, I'm curious to, to know, like as a 24 year old kid, or I think he was 24. Yeah. Did he think it was too soon? to be in that position of prominence on the show. Did he think that he would fizzle out quick? Because again, for a while, he never won the world championship again for at least another three years. That's a long time. And he, I think he won a tag title, but he didn't win many championships. He was involved in a lot of top programs with like the undertaker, Batista, Randy or uh, John Cena, people like that. Um, never won anything of importance again for another number of years. So I would be curious to know that as well as kind of a bonus question if there were any legends he hoped to work with, but never got the chance to, because the guy got to work with a lot of people. Um, like we're not even talking about Hulk Hogan. They had a they had a SummerSlam match. I mean, people forget about that all the time. It wasn't a great match by any means, but he got to work with Hulk Hogan. And what I think is Hulk Hogan's final match ever on the company, which is kind of crazy when you think about it, wow. that it's with Randy Orton at a SummerSlam 14 years ago. Um, but yeah, so he faced Hogan, you know, he never got to face Stone Cold or... I mean, he faced Rock technically at Evolution. Not Evolution. When Evolution faced... Um, WrestleMania. Yeah, the women's pay-per-view. And when Evolution faced Rock and Suck at WrestleMania 20. Yeah. Never faced Stone Cold. That would have been cool. Uh, the, the timing could not have been worse, though, because Stone Cold literally retired as he was getting hot, you know, in early 03. So that was never going to happen, I guess. But he worked with everyone else, from Hogan to Dusty to Slaughter to Jake the Snake to a lot of different people in that time period. Mick Foley, obviously, um, Undertaker. So, uh, yeah, I would probably ask him if he felt it was too much too soon and and uh, what his general thoughts are on how that time period really set the stage for the Randy Orton that we see today. I think um, in the final points that I'll make is, to, um, like you said, Sean, Hulk Hogan, Triple H, Mick Foley, I think the one... I think the one rivalry that, that stands out the most in this legend killer period was Undertaker. 
Um, again, he wins the world title at SummerSlam. He drops it a month later. Uh, he gets kicked out of mm-hmm. Revolution the following night. Then Hunter is the world champion again. And now it's like, what do you do with Orton? He's in he's in this tweener kind of area where you cheer for me one night in Toronto, but then like, what what do you do with him? Then he'll he'll go back at Triple H for for month after month after month, and of course Hunter would win. And now it's like, what do you mm-hmm. do? And how do you capitalize on this legend killer uh, persona? And at the same time, take your streak is still going on. So I think it was the proper time to say, hey, Randy Orton, we're going to put you up against Taker at WrestleMania for, for the streak. Because you are on this legend killer tirade, you might as well go up against possibly the greatest legend of all time with the biggest streak. Yep. So um, when you get Randy Orton, I, I think to me, this, is, this area right now with Taker was the apex of the legend killer. I think after okay. that, it kind of faded out. Yeah. So, it's Randy Orton, it's Undertaker, it's WrestleMania. I think I put out a tweet early in the week how the package, the promo for that main uh, for that match was fucking underrated. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, a very underrated Taker match, a very underrated Orton match. But when you go back at it, in that WrestleMania, which is a great WrestleMania 21 with uh, Sean and Kurt Angle, Hunter and Batista, I'm forgetting other matches, um, Eddie and Ray was another one. Eddie and Ray. And first Money in the Bank ladder match, too. First Money in the Bank ladder match with Edge winning. Then you get Randy Orton and Taker right in the middle of it. When you go back at it, what do you, what what stands out to you from Orton Taker in that time frame at WrestleMania 21? Orton, that feud was so important because it put Orton back in his element. I think now that we're kind of speaking more about it now, I think the issue with that feud with the Orton H feud after he lost the world championship literally within a month was that they thought, okay, if we beat Orton, people will rally behind him because he's a baby face. Now they like him. The issue with Orton as a face is that even back then as a 24 year old kid, 25 year old kid, he wasn't an underdog like that. They did that same exact story with Daniel Bryan, literally almost 10 years later where he would like get the big moment. And then he would lose in a month later and it sucked, but it made sense. And people stuck behind him because they love Daniel Bryan. Orton, people were only really hot for him because of the booking. It's not a thing where if the booking doesn't do right by him, then people will stick by him. He didn't have that same effect with the fans. So when the booking wronged him, the fans soured on him. They just stopped They just stopped caring um, about him as a face. So turning him heel, in that video package that you mentioned, they show him just RKOing the shit out of Stacey Keebler. You would never see that today, probably. But no. I mean, actually, he RKO'd Beth a couple of months ago, so never mind. Um, Facts, yeah. But still, like he was back in his element, doing great work. I don't know... I want to say that there was talk at some point about Orton winning that WrestleMania match and having the streak end there. Because if there's anyone that could have benefited from that, it would have been Randy. Of all the people that Taker's faced over the years, Randy probably would have benefited the most because he was still up and coming at that point. And I'm very happy you mentioned the show, WrestleMania 21. Because to me, first of all, it's a great show. Second of all, Literally everyone that I just mentioned that had matches on that show of that 2002 era, sans Brock Lesnar, who was already gone a year earlier, mm-hmm. went over. It was the changing of the guard in many ways. The only person who did not go over among Ray, Edge, um, Batista, Cena, and Orton was Orton. He was the only one who didn't win. And in this case, it was fine because it was the streak and it looked great in defeat. And he went on to beat Taker in a rematch at SummerSlam. So it was okay. And they continued the feud. It was, it was whatever. But... 
Yeah, it was it was it was imperative. Had it not been for that feud, had he continued to remain a babyface, he would have floundered. The guy would not have gone anywhere. He would have still been upper mid card, probably multi-time intercontinental champion on Raw. He just would not have gone back to being that awesome heel that he was a year earlier. So that was the best thing that could have happened to him. The feud is really helpful. Um, the matches were really good. Definitely underrated. I don't think about it as being one of his best matches. Again, I would have to go back and rewatch him, but they were very good. They put Orton on, an, on, on another level, even in defeat, because by the time 2006 came around, he was back to being a world championship contender facing DX. He was a top heel on Raw again. So um, that feud with Taker really... Saved his career. Had it not been for that feud, who knows what happened with Randy Orton on Raw. And, and I think it's very important because the, the, the one thing I, I did forget to mention was that when it comes to Taker's streak over the years, many of us have said, hey, you know, he could have lost to this guy. You know, he could have... Randy Orton, I, I, I always hear to this day, Twitter or whatever, that, you know, if the question was, like, if you could change the outcome of a WrestleMania match... I see that all the time, yeah. And people say Orton should have beaten Taker. This mm-hmm. ended at WrestleMania 21. So that's the reason why I asked that. And when you go back at it, and Taker has fought damn near everybody at WrestleMania, from the Sean, the Hunters, the Brocks, you know, CM Punk's, Randy Orton, do you feel like out of all the WrestleMania opponents that Taker has had, that Randy Orton should have been the guy to end the street because of the character he was portraying at that time. No, because if okay. he doesn't end the streak, <laughs> if he doesn't, if he ends the streak, we don't get Sean and Taker one of the greatest WrestleMania matches of all time. Could he have still done the match? Sure, it doesn't have the same effect without the streak. Mm-hmm. We don't get those great Triple H matches at twenty eight or twenty seven, twenty eight, specifically the end of an era match. We also don't get those shitty Taker matches from the last couple of years with Shane, with Roman, the Brock match, which were all terrible. So it's a good and a bad. I would say no, because yes, he would have benefited. But for how long, though? To me, it's the same thing as the Roman thing. Roman beats Taker WrestleMania 33. By that point, it's not the same, because he'd already been beaten once before. Still a big win. They did nothing with it. Roman, yeah, is an upper echelon guy. He's won championships, world titles. It's not some random schlub in the mid-card. Like, it was, I, I understand it. He did not benefit. Roman, I don't think, won another pay-per-view match until, like, the end of the year. Like, what the fuck, dude? Like, why Why even bother? You know what I mean? Like, it, it was hardly... It, it's not a Roman thing. It's a yeah. it's a booking thing. Um, why even bother doing it then? So, the Orton, the reason I bring that up is because it would not have been the same. The reason the streak ending at WrestleMania 30 was such a big deal was because you had nine more years of matches and people that he beat. Because every year that... that progress with the streak advancing it was more and more suspenseful to see if he would lose by wrestlemania 30 we figured okay this guy's never losing by 21 there was still a shot okay he might lose but it's not as big of a deal if orton wins it's like oh that's a big win he could go on to lose to taker in a rematch the next month and never be heard from again because at that point the streak was like i don't know 10 and 0 maybe maybe not even like 11 and 0 i don't remember exactly but it wasn't that big of a deal it was starting to become a big deal around that point it wasn't nearly as big of a deal um as it would become years and years later that's like saying like oh we finally realized that this guy's been undefeated for a year they lose and then that's it like Rusev, that happened to people like that who gives a shit and then they go on to do literally nothing after that Orton, I feel like, would have been the same thing. Where if, Because they built up the streak, I think Orton was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. If Orton came up in today's era, and he was in that same position as Brock, 
I would have Orton go over. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, in 05, the streak wasn't where it would end up being. So I would say, no, he should not have won that match. Although it would have been a nice win for him, though. Uh, and then what? He would go on to, what, main event WrestleMania, uh, one, one, one of the two main events uh, the following year at 22 yep. in that triple threat with Kurt Angle and um, Rey Mysterio. Uh, 23, I'm trying to off the top of my head, 23... The, the ladder match, the Money in the Bank ladder match. Yeah, the Money in the Bank ladder match, yep. 24, we're talking about 2008, he's the champion again in a triple threat match against Hunter and John Cena. Yep. Uh, 29, 29, oh, he was in that. Face time. No, no, you mean 2009. Yeah, to, uh, 09, 09, 09. So he was in the main, the main, main event of Mania again with Triple H. 25, yeah. Match sucked. Um, he, he lost. Match was no good. Sean Taker should have gone on last. Uh, yeah, Sean Sean Taker should have gone on last. Right, but to be fair, yeah. the reason why that match wasn't perceived well because they had to follow Hunter, um, Sean and Taker. So if let's say, right, Sean and Hunter, uh, Sean and Hunter, Sean and Taker, yeah, made evented that WrestleMania. I think the Orton Hunter match could have gone better than what it was because by the time that that match came on, it's like I already saw the main event. So, yeah, you know, I'm trying to be fair it, it, here, but it would have been better. But the thing is, is that it still would not have been nearly as good. I mean, I know that's not saying much, but like, yeah, it would have been better. But anything's better than like a, a one star match. You know what I'm saying? Just because the reason I say that it's not just because of when it went on the show. Like I could see someone saying that for Triple H and Jericho. That I thought was a good match from WrestleMania 18. That should have been better because it wasn't the real main event of WrestleMania 18 was Rock and Hogan. That should have been on last. Right. Um, so with Orton and H, though, like I said earlier, they have literally never had great chemistry, like ever. They've had some good matches, some really good matches. I'm not going to sit here and say all their matches are shit, but most of them, that one, some of their matches in 08, again, they were pretty good. But no one, I guarantee you, will say, oh, my God, that Orton-Triple H match was so amazing. Like that Super Showdown match they had a year ago, who who gives a shit? Like, I, I almost fell asleep. It was so boring. And I know that was 2019 and not 2009, but same principle. Like, it's just, they just don't have great chemistry. They just don't. And uh, that's just the case with certain people. So even if it did go on third, fourth from the top, second from the top, I still think it would not have been this great instant classic. And he lost anyway, so it doesn't even matter. Right. Two more before I let you go. Two, a very, very important question. Probably the most important question I ask you the whole show. Burning my light or I hear voices? Which, which I hear voices. Mean? Now, listen. What? Wow. Both themes are great. Wow. Both themes are great. And burning my light is... Listen, it's like it's... There's no wrong answer. Now, I say I hear voices because that's what I've grown up, grown up on myself. Mm-hmm. Burning my light, if you tell me we're getting rid of uh, I Hear Voices and I were to hear Burning My Light again, I would I would freak out because it's such a great song. Orton himself hates it. Now, my initial instinct, again, is to, is to say I Hear Voices. But we're, it, again, th- there's no real wrong answer because Burning My Light is more legend killer Randy Orton and I Hear voice, Voices is more apex predator Randy Orton. So it's really whatever you prefer most. And I like Legend Killer, and it's a great song. I don't know. I just I, I want to say I hear voices just because I think it's a better song overall. But Burning My Light, Burning My Light is still perfect and very fitting for that character from that era for Randy Orton. 
Um, are you surprised, you know, now we're fast forwarding to, you know, now, are you kind of surprised that they're going, they're going back to that old school legend killer vibe with Randy Orton? Are, are you, are, are you happy about that? I'm happy. I'm, I'm both surprised and happy just because we haven't seen this version of Randy, the legend. We've seen heel Randy before, but not legend killer Randy in over 10 years. I think the last time he brought it back again was like 07 or something. Um, it worked with the current story with the edge stuff. Cause he's a legend granted Orton's kind of on the same playing field. So it's not, he's not really a legend. Mm-hmm. If he's a legend, then Orton's a legend too, but whatever. Um, but they wanted to continue that with Christian with big show, Ric Flair, you know, it's cool. It's a nice trip down memory lane. It's a character that he plays really, really well. And it's not just the fact that he's doing the character again that I like. The promo that he's doing right now, the promos that he's doing are just flat-out phenomenal. Like, they're, they're great. It's probably some of the best mic work he's ever done in his entire career, where he doesn't sound monotone or boring. He, he just gets it. He doesn't sound scripted. And I'm really digging what he's doing right now. It's, I'm not surprised that he brought it back, but I will say this, and I'm not the only one who have said this before, but I'm honestly a little surprised that, not that they didn't recycle that character for someone else, like the whole Legend Killer thing, but what they should have done with Randy instead, the Legend Killer thing, bringing it back is cool, but you flip the switch and you make him the Rookie Killer instead. You got all these guys coming up from NXT. Why isn't he going after them? Why not go after the... The, the, the Sammy Zanes and the Baron Corbins when they first came up, or who's been called up recently? I don't fucking know. EC3 when he got called up a year ago, even though he's been fired now. But you, you know what I'm saying? Like, go after the NXT people. It feels like when the NXT people get called up, they act like they've been on Raw this entire time. In a certain way, that's good. You don't want to make him feel like the new kid in school before that feeling wears off in a couple of months. But, like, Orton should be the one working with these people. And... I know when you bring up someone from NXT, they're not going to beat Randy Orton right off the bat, but I'm surprised they didn't do that at least once. Like, he was the legend killer. Now this guy wants to come and kind of take my spotlight. All right, I'm going to put him down. Like, I don't want to see him beating NXT people. I don't want to see him at Full Sail beating fucking Adam Cole and Johnny Gargano and shit like that. I think that'd be incredibly dumb. But, like, I would like to see something along those lines where he kind of flips it and is like, the next person that gets called up, this is my show. I've always been here. I'm the legend now, and now I'm going to kill you. So um, that that's just one thing I would like to see at some point. They haven't done it. I don't know if they will. Mm-hmm. But with the NXT people now more you know, prevalent on this show, on this program more than ever, I think it would be a cool idea to explore. So last one for those um, fans who don't know about the, 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 the first you know reiteration of the, the Legend Killer um, character from 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um Someone said, hey, Graham, so talk about this Randy Orton guy, Legend Killer from like 04, 05. Um, why should I go back and see it? Like, what's the, what's the legacy of the original Legend Killer character for Randy Orton? It's a good question. Um, the matches he had were really good. It really, it, I, I would say, if you like the Randy that we see now, you got to see the origin of the character. If you really want to see how he came up in the business, it wasn't this like immediate. He's shown up and won the world championship on day one. It was a gradual rise from where he started as a rookie in 02 to being kind of like, you know, part of evolution, being intercontinental champion, a very underrated run, had a lot of good matches, really put him on the map. And that initial, I mean, again, it has not been all, you know, it's not been all rainbows and whatever for Randy Orton. Like the guy had a pretty bad period in late 04 where. It just wasn't working. It looked like it was on the, he was on the skids. And then they obviously rejuvenated his character with a heel turn. 
So from 02 to 05, I would say is some of his best work, specifically like 04 to 05. Um, but yeah, some really good matches, character work specifically, good promos. He was just the quintessential heel. That was what gave us the Orton that we see today. He made a lot of mistakes, but in making those mistakes, he did things better later on. And a lot of people make those mistakes, and they never get a second chance. That's the thing. They fuck up. They have a bad match. They have a bad feud. Their booking sucks. We never see those guys again. Orton, to his credit, and it has nothing to do with him. It's really more the company believing in him. But he's fucked up before, and they've continued to give him chances. Which, whether he deserves it or not, is up for interpretation. But he's made the most of those chances and become one of the biggest stars in WWE history. Maybe not on the level of a John Cena or a Triple H, but I guarantee you that if you go up to anyone right now, if I was to say again to anyone that I know that's not a wrestling fan, hey, I interviewed Randy Orton today, they'd be like, holy shit, that's cool because I know Randy Orton, like the RKO. Like, people know that shit, you know? Like, especially with, with my generation, I didn't grow up watching WWE in like 05 and shit. But people my age, you know what the RKO is. Like, it's gone popular. It's gone viral on social media. People know Orton, and it's all because of that one time period. And it, had it not been for the Legend Killer stuff, we very likely would not be seeing the Orton that we do today on WWE TV. I agree, man. Uh, where do you have Orton in your top 10, 15, 20 of all time? Where do you have him? I don't know if I'd put him in my top 10. I really don't. Um, there's a lot of people I would put before him. Mm. Um, he is great. I'm not going to sit here and say he's overrated. Maybe to extend, I mean, I don't know, overrated is such a subjective thing. I, I wouldn't say that, but because he is very, very talented. The guy can still, like, the guy can still go have a lot of good matches. He's having some of the best stuff work of his career right now. Right. And you know, if the guy were, were to retire tomorrow or leave like a CM Punk did, you know, we would miss him because the guy is actually really, really good. And we don't appreciate Randy Orton enough, but that being said, probably top 15, um, top 10. I, I don't know about that just because not that he's never been a draw. Then again, CM Punk was never really a draw. Do we put him, did we not put him in that conversation? I don't know. Mm -hmm. So it's really tough to say. Um, people like right now, Daniel Bryan, one of the greatest ever. He's not really a draw because the ratings are continuing to decline. Is he a draw? Like, you know what I'm saying? So it's tough to say. Right. Um, I would probably put him in the 15 though because he's been around for so long. He's had a lot of success. And um, yeah, he's just he's just very very good. Maybe not great to some people. I think he's great. I could see some people calling him like a B plus player, kind of playing off that Daniel Bryan thing from years ago, which I can agree with. Mm -hmm. But he is still one of the best of all time, hands down. Well, Graham Matthews, Bleacher Report, fan sided Daily DDT, my man. Always uh, thank you for coming on. You can find him on Twitter at WrestleRant. He's been on, on on a tear lately. So if you if you are if you follow him, go check out interviews with um, Bailey. Biggie, upcoming with Seth Rollins. Uh, who are, who I'm missing? So there's someone else coming up next week that I won't spoil quite oh, yet, but that's man. coming up. That announcement should be coming up on Monday. The Rollins one goes up on Monday. You can actually hear the audio of that interview. We were able to work something out where nice. I know we were discussing this, um, that it's just written, but we actually were able to, we, I am going to be able to include it in the next one with Rollins where you're going to be able to hear the interview. It's going to be on my YouTube channel. You can, no, we don't do face to face. Like this would be cool. If we could do something like this, that'd be awesome. Yeah, but right? I'm not, you know, Rollins, I mean, he's done shit like that before. I'm not quite at that level yet. I don't have that going, <laughs> but um, yeah, we talked to Bailey recently, Biggie, Braun Strowman, Keith Lee, right after he won the NXT championship, nice. Adam Cole, Otis, Gargano, Karrion okay. Cross, a lot of people from NXT, the entire NXT roster, as you tweeted to me recently. So, uh, 
it's been cool. It's been cool. And we got a lot of cool ones coming up, including Rollins on Monday before SummerSlam next weekend. So looking forward to that as well. Graham, you're doing big things. I'm proud of you. Keep it going. Again, Wrestle Rant on Twitter for Bleacher Report and Fan Sided Daily DDT. My man, thank you and I appreciate it. Thank you, Randy. Appreciate the time and I'll catch you in the next one. All right, man. Take it easy. You too. Adios. All right.